you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you, Pastor Rich. It's a blessing to be here and to have a chance to share with you from God's Word. It's a blessing for me to be here because I serve with such wonderful men and women. And I'm in awe when I see the things that God is doing in their lives. As I was thinking yesterday about where we have come just these last few months, I was amazed to think that in just two weeks, the month of June is going to be over. And you're going to say, okay, so what's that? Well, with the end of the month of June, you're looking at this year, 2020, is halfway over. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, and in a moment, we're going to pick up in verse 12 and go on from there. But do you realize when this year began, nobody anticipated the things that we would see? As we look at the things that have taken place this year, we looked at the virus, and it was first, don't worry, it's in other countries, it's not going to affect us. And then came the quarantine and the social distancing. And then we look at other events in recent weeks. We saw a man killed on the streets of a major city. And we saw the nation raise up in reaction to this. Some people said, what is going on in America? There were those that say, this is my country. I love my country. I see people rioting. I see people burning the flag. I see people protesting, and it angers me. Why don't they just send in the army and wipe them all out? And then there are other people that say, you don't understand. This is my country, and I love this country. But what we see happening is injustice, and we must rise up and do something about it and end this injustice. I love my country, but what goes on here is wrong. And then as believers, we stand back and we say, Lord, what is my place? What should I be doing as a believer in Jesus Christ? I don't want to add to the problem. Lord, what should I do? I was telling Pastor Rich this week, I said, now I know you listen to God. Because I look at the service, the sermon series that our pastors have been speaking on for the last two months, Peacemakers. Now, who could have thought ahead of time this is what we would really be needing at this time? You know, God calls us all to be peacemakers and to be reconcilers. This last week, I was reading a passage in the book of Joshua. And at this point in time, Moses has died. Joshua has taken over as the leader. Israel has crossed over into the promised land. They're getting ready to go to battle against Jericho. They have separated themselves unto the Lord. They are a praying people. They are seeking God. They are a people that are wanting to be obedient to God. And Joshua is out in the field. Perhaps he's contemplating what's to come. And he looks up and he sees a man standing there with a sword in his hand. And Joshua walks over to him and he asks him a very simple question. He says, are you on our side or are you on the side of our enemies? And the man responds in a way that at first doesn't make any sense. He says, no. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I read that the very first time that I'd read it. And I thought, well, what's going on here? Are you this or are you this? And the man responded, no. The question isn't, 
whose side God is on. I mean, to me, Joshua was standing where he was in obedience to the Lord. Israel was where they were in obedience to the Lord. Their hearts were right before the Lord. If God is on anybody's side, he'd be on their side. At least that's what it seems like to me. But the point of the passage is, God does not take sides. The real question we should be asking is, whose side am I on? Am I on God's side or on something else? Here in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being, or if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In this passage of scripture, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was in a Roman colony. The name of the colony was Philippi. A couple of years before, Paul had been sharing the gospel there with a man named Silas. They had been preaching. Paul and Silas had been imprisoned for their faith. They had been beaten. And that night, they were worshiping and praising God. Through a series of events, God sent a revival. There was an earthquake. The jailer was going to kill himself because he's responsible for all of these guys. And if they've escaped, he's going to be killed anyway. And they cry out, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And he calls for a light. And he runs in and falls on his knees before him. And he says, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? They founded a church there in this little town. And these people really loved Paul. Now, everywhere he went, he would found a church, start a work, and the people would pray for him. They would stand behind him. They loved him. But this church of Philippi really had a heart for Paul. They followed him wherever he went, what he was doing. They would send him a gift, a love offering. And perhaps out of all of the churches that are listed in the New Testament, you could make a good argument. You can't be dogmatic. But you could make a good argument that this church might have been closer to Paul than perhaps any other. Well, Paul left and he was going to Jerusalem and they lost touch with him. And nearly two years go by and the next thing they hear is that Paul is in prison in Rome. And I'll tell you, a Roman prison is not a nice place. The Philippians, they're at home. They've been blessed by God. The church is growing. They have families. They have jobs. They're doing well. By contrast, Paul is in prison. He has been tortured for his faith in Christ. He has nothing because he's given up everything that he had that he might serve Christ. They find out that he's there. They send one of their own with a love offering and to see if there's anything he needs. And at this point, really, because of their love for Paul, he probably could have asked them for anything that he wanted. 
And he does ask them for something. But it seems very strange. Instead of saying, I need more money. Can you get me a better lawyer? Uh, Can you break me out of this place? Uh, I need better clothes. Instead of anything like that, he asked them something very interesting. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. He says, first, leading up to it, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he's saying, if these things are true, well, of course they're true. He says, then if that's the case, verse 2, complete my joy. That is, he's saying, you know what would really make me happy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, this is what would really make me happy. What does that mean? Unity of spirit, being of the same mind. He says, that means you have the same love. That is, you might like things differently than I do. You might have different tastes than I do. But when it comes to the important things in life, we all agree on Jesus. He's come into our hearts. He's changed our lives and we live for him. And pleasing him is the most important thing we could do. He says to be in full accord, that is be in agreement with these things. And then he says again, be of one mind. He's speaking of unity. Now that doesn't mean that we're all going to agree on the same favorite movie or the same type of food or we're going to agree on the same sports team. And in recent days, it doesn't mean that we're going to agree politically on all of the same things. But when the Lord calls us to be unified in him, these things are superseded by our love for the Lord. We must have the same overall goal and purposes in our lives. We live to serve and glorify our Lord. That's what he says That's what he means when he says, I want you to be of the same mind. But then he goes on and explains, it's not enough just to say, yeah, that's what I believe. It's got to be from the right motivation. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. More significant, that means consider other people as more important than yourselves. And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. That's what we're supposed to be. And that's what the Lord expects of us. So first he makes a request. He says, you really want to make me happy? You know what I really need from you folks? I need there to be this unity. And I need it to be from the proper motivation. He talks about humility. Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. I think about many of our politicians. They run for office. They say the things that you may want to hear. And then something happens. They get to Washington and suddenly they're no longer listening to what the people say. They do things according to what they want. 
And yet that's contrary to what the Lord says for us. Unity, the right motivation, and then he gives a guiding principle. We see that in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In this world, there's this idea that I am important. I am the center of my universe. I do what is important to me. And then I try to do things for other people too. And the Lord says, that's not right. He says, don't just look after your own interest, but look also to the interest of others. A few years ago, there was a plane crash in Washington, D.C. An airliner went down, wound up in the Potomac River. People were freezing. There was ice and there was snow. They were trying to rescue the people. And there was a man, we don't even know who he was, but he embodied this verse. Don't just look after your own interests, but look also to the interest of others. A police helicopter, a rescue helicopter came overhead and they dropped a line to rescue him. And he grabbed someone else and he put them on the line and they raised that person up and they were saved. And then he did it again and again. And when they came back to get him, he wasn't there. He had gone under. He died. But he put the interest of others first. That's what Jesus did for us. In verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying you got to work to be saved. What he's saying is, what is going on in your life is different than what's going on in my life. This guiding principle, this request that I have, you've got to work it out as works best in your life. You're not me. The battles you face are not mine. You're not going to respond as I do. You've got to work it out in your life. So he gives us this request. He gives us a guiding principle. And then he gives us two wonderful examples. The first example I love, the example is the example that Jesus gave us. He's supposed to be our example. We're supposed to be like Christ. It says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, he didn't hold on to it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus is our example. Jesus was God. He was one with the Father from all eternity. But the Father had something for him to do. He didn't say, wait a minute, you're God, but I'm God too. I don't have to do this. Instead, in obedience, he humbled himself to the Father, and he became a man. Do you realize the creator of the universe became a man? He entered into this sinful world. He took on a frail human body. And he became a servant. The scripture says that Jesus didn't come to be ministered unto. He didn't come so we would wait on him hand and foot. But he came to be a servant. It says he further humbled himself by being obedient. Even to the point of death on the cross. 
And I can tell you, dying on the cross was not something he wanted to do. In the garden, he cried and he says, Father, if there's any other way, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But as an obedient servant, he said, nevertheless, not what I want, but your will be done. Now, if Christ can humble himself that much, do you think that we should be willing to humble ourselves in loving one another, in serving one another, in reconciling to one another? More often than not, I'm willing to serve if people see because it makes me look good. But how about the person that's on the street? How about the person that doesn't know Christ? How about the homeless person? Are you willing to reach out and serve? Even if there's no gratitude? Even if nobody sees anything like that, that you're doing? This is what he calls us to do. And then he gives a contrasting illustration in verse 17. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, you might be thinking, what does he mean, being poured out, a sacrificial offering? Jesus is the offering. Jesus died for our sins. He was the Lamb of God. Jesus' death was a picture of the Old Testament sacrifices. Oftentimes, when they sacrificed a lamb, they would have another offering with it. They would take a glass of wine, and instead of drinking and enjoying it, they would pour it out. As part of the sacrifice. Paul is saying, I'm not the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. But like Jesus died, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. As I had said, Paul had nothing. Everything he could have had in this life, in this, as far as hopes and dreams, he gave it up. To serve Jesus. Now the Lord doesn't call us all to do that. But sometimes he does. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. As long as it's for a good purpose. That good purpose being their faith. He says, I want to know that you're walking with the Lord. Those beatings that I took in your town so I could share the gospel with you. I'm okay with that if it's for a good purpose. He didn't just want to hear, yeah, I'm a Christian. He wanted to see life. He said, you've got to be of the same mind. He gave that governing principle. Don't just look only on your own interest, but also the interest of others. He gives an illustration of what this is like with Jesus. And then he shows how he is being poured out. And he says, I'm okay with that. As long as your faith is real. He's saying, if I see this love in your heart, if I see this unity, then it's worth it. Paul is in prison, and the most important thing he could think of to ask for was unity and reconciliation among the believers. If our faith is real, this is what it should show. Now, this is really good, and you say, wow, I need to think about that. That's awesome. Then we go on with our life. But there's some strong implications concerning what he's saying, especially in light of what we see happening in our beloved country today. 
Unity, first of all, shows that we are the people of God. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's easy to love people that agree with me, that look like me, that are of the same ethnic background and status in life. Reconciliation with someone who has wronged me, that gives strong evidence that God is working in my life. Remember, Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. We can have a close fellowship and relationship with other believers in spite of our differences because of our relationship with Christ. In this life, I am to be a Christian first. Christ calls me to be in this world as his representative, but not of the world. I am to be an ambassador for Christ carrying his message of love, hope, mercy, and forgiveness. I'm not supposed to be on this side or that side, just like my Lord isn't on this side or that side. Rather, I am to represent Christ, and I am to be his servant and on his side. In Christ, there are no ethnic distinctions In Christ, there are no political distinctions. Have you noticed when you look at the church in America today, we divide based on our socio-political or ethnic views? You'll have churches with this religion or with that religion. The rich people go to this church, the middle class here, the lower class people go there. Jesus died for all people. It's not supposed to be that way. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians that in Christ there's neither Jew nor non-Jew, the Gentiles. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male or female. We are all one in Christ. The Lord expects us to love and serve all people, regardless of whether they're rich or poor, regardless if they're skin color is different than mine, regardless if they believe or hold the same political views that I do. In the world, people form groups and they tend to group together based on a racial distinction, a national identity, or a political affiliation. In Christ, it's not supposed to be this way. That is of the world. And if the world looks in the church and they see the same thing, then what do we have to offer them? Not really a lot. If any of these things are of greater importance in my life than loving someone else or obeying Christ, then I'm walking in the flesh. You say, what does that mean? What it means is this. I'm sinning before God. If my political affiliation, my national origin my racial distinction, if any of these things keep me from loving you or somebody out there keeps me from fellowshipping with them because they're not my kind, then I'm walking in the flesh. Jesus calls us to humble ourselves. And that's not always easy to do. And humbling myself before the Lord I may find God asking me to lay aside my particular views on an issue, to reach out and love to someone of an opposite view 
so that I can share the love of Christ that they might be saved. That's what we're here for. A few years ago, the Lord really dealt with me harshly. I would get on social media, and I'm passionate about a lot of things that in the light of eternity don't mean anything. But I'm still passionate about them. And I would post my views on social media, and then I found out people of other views were rejecting me. Not because of Christ. I never had the chance to share the gospel. They were rejecting my message because my message was a human message about this politician, about this particular view, about things that don't mean anything in light of eternity. And the Lord spoke very strongly to my heart and said, is that what you're about? Are you an apostle, a missionary for this political party? Are you trying to compete convert people to this particular view? Or are you going to be like Paul? When he went to the church in Corinth, he said, I was determined to know nothing among you other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's our mission, reaching the lost. There is no room in the body of Christ for factions or disunity based on these things. Not if we're going to be Christ followers. Now, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's in the garden and he's praying. Just a few hours later, he's going to be dead. This last prayer was really important. And he cried out. He said, Father, I pray that they, his followers, I pray that they would be one, as you and I are one, that the world might know that you sent me. The reason why he prayed that is because disunity is more of what we live like. We like to be with people just like us. But he said, Father, I pray that there would be this unity. Jesus also said, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Not the people that they choose to hang around with. The people that live around me. The people I see at the grocery store the lady that works at the gas station when I get gas, the people I work with, he says, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Christ gave up being God for us. Do you think we could give up a little bit of our rights and our views for a time so that we could reach others who maybe think differently than we do? When Jesus was being interviewed by the Roman governor, to determine if he was going to be crucified or not. In the end, they ruled against him and he was crucified. They were accusing him of being a king because they knew the governor would react to that. And the governor said, are you a king? And he says, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight. But my kingdom isn't of this world. I think no matter what your personal views are on a political situation or what's happening in our country, we can all agree America needs help. America needs to change. The greatest medium for social change in the world today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are truly a Christ follower, this is what our Lord expects of us. Now, Maybe you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you're saying, that sounds good. I really don't know about this. I don't know what you mean about Jesus. I just thought it was a religion or something like that. 
Jesus is a person. He created you for a reason. He wants to have a relationship with you. If you would like that, and you're listening online, click on that button that they talked about earlier, where there are people that are willing to respond. They'll talk with you. They'll explain how you can know Jesus. They'll pray with you. Or call the church during the week. There are people that would love to take the time. We've got a fantastic staff here that love the Lord. And they would love to share with you how. The bottom line is this. Our country needs peace. But you're never going to have peace as long as you reject the Prince of Peace. And as an individual, if you don't know Jesus, you're never going to have that lasting peace that you desire and seek after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that you love us in spite of ourselves and in spite of the messes that we get ourselves into. Lord, sometimes the things that you tell us are hard to live by. But we love you. We don't want to be the way we've been. We want to love people as you do. We want to value them as you do. This is something you have to work in our lives. And I ask that you would do that. I pray also, Lord, if there is one here that has been listening and doesn't know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reach out and pull on their heart, draw them to you. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I hope and pray by God's grace that you have a good week. Be blessed. Be safe. Wherever you go, whatever you do, take Jesus with you. Thank you.